Hello, good morning, afternoon, good evening, greetings from sunny, beautiful Boston. Uh, feels more like California these days. My name is Terrence Fox, Head of Innovation with iAdvise here for today's spicy topic. CX is dead, long live PX. Uh, for those of you who joined us last week, uh, Nate Brown had a funny comment at the end of the session where he thought he should be fighting back for today's conversation. Maybe we'll see a Nate Brown question, we'll see. Uh, I am joined by the VP of Strategy at Aquino, Kristen Narragan. Uh, Aquino, for those of you unaware, is a, a global leader in the product experience management solution side. Uh, and they obviously help focus on uh, helping brands deliver a premium customer experience across all channels. Uh, Kristen, for years, was an exec over at Adobe and was poached and pulled over to the Aquino team uh, to help drive out their strategic growth initiatives. And she's a guest we're super excited to talk to you about today's topic, CX is dead, long live PX. Kristen, are you there? Can you hear me? Hi, I am here and I'm ready for the spicy topic. Yeah, yeah, this is one that I'm super excited about because it isn't a, a, a topic we've tackled in the past. Uh, and I think you're gonna bring great insight into what you're doing over at Akinio and why you believe it's most impactful. Um, but before we actually get into the topic, let's get in your brain a little bit. What have you been reading lately? What have you enjoyed? Uh, I guess in the context of being stuck at home during COVID. <laughs> reading's, a, reading's a tough one, right? With uh, all of the topics that have sort of inundated uh, the atmosphere in the last couple of months. So what I have done is people have sent me books. They've recommended books. I have gotten maybe a quarter of the way through two that I've received out of three. So yep. disrupted like this one, it's, you know, I haven't started that one yet. The escaping the build trap, good product management recommendation. Mm -hmm. Excellent first 10 pages. That's about as far as I got. And then this one I'm really excited about um, is becoming. Oh book. yeah, my wife loved that book. I only got her in kindergarten, so I'm not far along, but I'm very excited to read them all as soon as I get. <clears throat> you said you only got as far as her in kindergarten? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. she's reading in kindergarten, and I'm like, oh, my kindergartner at home. I need to, I need to get yeah. her going. <laughs> uh, well, your your book reading sounds a little bit like mine. Um, it's very much my uh, – I, I seem to acquire books just to have them these days. Can't keep up. Mm-hmm. Now, before also we get into the context of product experience versus customer experience, I want to learn about your experiences. Uh, have you had a particularly memorable experience, either good or bad, with a brand recently that you've been either impressed with, as I mentioned, or disturbed or upset with? Uh, no, no disturbing, I don't think. Okay. But uh, no, I have been I have been actually reflecting recently on uh, the grocery shopping experience hmm. and. Uh, maybe it's because I live, you know, uh, in a fairly, it's a proper city, I suppose, but um, access to the grocery store is so much different for me now. And I am actually becoming accustomed to it and enjoying it. So I used to love slowly going through the aisles. It was like my time to, you know. Get away. Sure, get away and <laughs> choose the, the produce and touch and feel and smell and all that good stuff. But now, Saturday mornings, I just go through my app. I can browse all the products. I can experiment with new things without, you know, haven't even known they were in the aisle and go and pick it up. It's dropped in my my trunk and it's just a, I don't know, it's a really nice experience now. 
So that convenience you're enjoying, for sure. Love the convenience, and I uh, I find myself adding things to the cart that perhaps I would not have normally on it if I were standing right in front of it. So um, that's interesting, and you brought up a couple of funny things. Uh, one, first and foremost, in my house, my wife and I have a secret agreement where, well. It's not an agreement, an understanding where we both know that going to the grocery store is seen as a vacation from our 13 month old. Uh, And sometimes you just need it, right? Uh, uh, Just to get out and escape for a little bit. So we're always jumping and chomping at the bit to be the one to go shopping, which has been disguised as helping the other. Right. but uh, I can certainly relate to that. And I, I think we mentioned last week with Nate Brown um, uh, and Lucille DeHart uh, the week before about buy online, pick up in store. Uh, the stores are doing some pretty amazing things in terms of trying to build that trust and convenience, uh, naturally that it's a pl- safe place to be and making it easier for those who are worried that it might not be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, that's obviously how your buying uh, behavior has changed in terms of groceries. But uh, have you had any major other changes yourself in your own consumer behavior as far as uh, uh, making any sort of purchase? You know, I actually think that I have. Um, I don't know how intentional it was. So in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, uh, my my family agreed that we would cut back on consumerism. So we would, uh, with the intent and whether or not it's rational to, to try and relieve the supply chain for more urgent things, right? So if people, other people needed certain supplies through the supply chain, we didn't want to tax it with frivolous spending and consumerism. So we way scaled back to basically nothing other than the essentials. Um, And we really haven't picked back up. well, I mean, on the one hand, it's I should probably be supporting businesses and keeping stores open. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it feels nice to not be so caught up in consumerism. Right. Well, the intention is is good. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It, it had the right intent. We'll see how long it lasts. Yeah. So far, it seems to be sticking. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I'm sure your wallet is probably appreciating it. <laughs> we'll see uh, how this plays out. Yeah. Uh, so. Without delaying anymore, Kristen, what is product experience? Let's get right to it. Let's get right to it. Uh, well, so we've, we're trying to establish, um, obviously, that product experience is more than just a listing of information about products. Um, yeah. requires a lot from companies to be able to display emotional, in-context, relevant product, product information. Sure. Um, and when you get that right, that's that's a really good buying experience. Um, and it's not just at the moment of researching or the moment of purchase or consideration or purchase. It's after as well. So what does the product experience happen um, uh, post-purchase that helps you either become a repeat buyer or not? Um, right. So product experience management really is that art and science of um, people, process, and technology, making sure that that works efficiently to deliver really high um, quality in context, uh, adapted to the right channel and adapted to the right geography product experiences. Right. And I saw um, on the Akinio page and site that you folks uh, obviously do an awful lot with data and make sure everything that you do show on the product detail page across all channels 
is relevant, emotional, uh, and obviously impactful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to just have enough information there uh, that's accurate. Okay, right. it's kind of like the table stakes. You want to make sure your product is described accurately. Right. Um, but I mean, it's all the um, the other things around the product. So all of the pictures. Do you have a rotating picture of you know the the product so you can see it from all angles? Mm. Um, I was actually talking to a, an innovative retailer who. Um, they, they sell women's clothing and they are looking to be able to allow the uh, shopper to show the model of this a similar size. So to oh. be able to see the product, the, the leggings or the top uh, on a model of her same size. And hmm. I thought that was, I mean, that's, that's, really, that's really engaging in the product experience. So am I understanding correctly, you could essentially put in your height and width and see how the the shirt would fit on you in that scenario? Yeah, I'm a size whatever. Um, oh. I just want to see models with that same size wearing that shirt. Ooh, and I know um, a big benefit, of course, of Akinio and doing this sort of work is your returns and uh, poor experiences obviously plummet. Uh, so I can imagine something like that would be super impactful as well. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Kirsten, I hear so much about CX and I hear uh, a constantly means of, especially during COVID, making sure your CX is uh, up to snuff and, and naturally uh, giving everyone the right uh, perspective and understanding of who you are as a brand. Um, but tell me why uh, when it comes to product experience versus customer experience, people need to kind of transition the focus to product experience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, certainly I've been a part of that talk track in the last right. the or 10 years of my life uh, is really engaging um, in the right moment, in the right context, that customer experience. And I think that obviously it is still important. Um, I just think that perhaps we might have as an industry over rotated on the customer experience, especially in light of how quickly um, that experience can change overnight, clearly mm -hmm. the pandemic. Hopefully it doesn't change so dramatically in other ways upcoming, but we just don't know. And I think what that proved um, to a lot of us in the industry, but also um, you know, marketers and CX professionals in general, is that if we are telling our um, brands and marketers and business leaders to orient all of our technology, orient your business process, hire people with skills around um, mapping that customer journey, yeah. um, you do it at the expense of that's only good enough if it stays the same. <laughs> yeah. And even minor shifts can have significant impacts that you might not be able to have such um, a nimble approach to adapting to. And so I think what what our customers who had been investing in product experience, so emphasizing essentially what amounts to like a CRM for product information, if you're mm -hmm. able to have that single source of truth for product information, if your customer experience changed, so you know, you're addressing new markets, you are um, adding different product lines to your offering, you need to adapt to in-store versus online or some flavor in between. Yeah. If product information is in a way that you can sort it and um, tag it and you have uh, different formats for different uh, channels, you're right. far more nimble and can react more quickly to this changing customer experiences. Right. And I mean, just even your own reflection on how you have changed when you purchase groceries, right? If you if you think about how much that has changed from wandering 
the aisles of the store in your cart and taking your time. Uh, uh, you can see why investing in the products that are being merchandised and shared and, and, and attaching the emotion and the value to the product detail uh, would be impactful. And as you mentioned, remain nimble as the journey changes. Yeah. Uh, excellent point. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I like the, the experience that I'm having with the couple of grocery stores that are providing the service. But I sure. also know, just living the world that I'm living in right now, that if they provided me with a couple more things, like tag each of the products or tag all of your products, the ones that are you know, GMO, uh, non-GMO or fair trade or uh, gluten-free or, right? So if, if all of those products had um, certain tags in them that allowed me as a consumer to sort more effectively in that way, which I can't do so easily in a physical store. Right. Imagine that experience, right? Um, yeah. No longer hunting the aisle for gluten-free pretzels. You can just have it in front of you. Yeah, you have it in front of you. And then you have all the gluten. I mean, I'm not gluten-free, but I have good friends and a sister-in-law. And God, the shopping nightmare that they have. But if, but if it's all within a sort button, it's totally different. Yeah, so, okay, so my understanding is if, if the basic foundation is in place and you mentioned a CRM where some of this contextual understanding and product information is stored, uh, you've seen that your customer base has been uh, most impactful and, and most uh, more easily able to adapt to the sort of customer journey changes we've seen happen in the past 12 months or so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We have, um, we have a customer who is sort of epitomizes this and it was, I think it was more serendipitous, uh, you know, the the timing for them of what they invested in uh, prior to the pandemic. But nevertheless, it, it certainly did help them. So, um, company called Rural King, which I can remember. yeah, I know them out in the and the in the you know middle heartland of America. They're yeah. selling tractors and animal feed and really great, really great stuff uh, for keeping keeping America running. Um, clearly they wanted at some point like 10 years ago to move online. So they opened up an e-commerce store. Sorry, yep. being home. I'm not sure if you can hear that, but leaves in your yard or something. Yeah. It's, been <laughs> it's awesome. That's fine. Um, so anyway, they, uh, they wanted to get, uh, their products online. Um, so they opened up an e-commerce store after eight years of having that e-commerce um, platform up and running. They only had like a 30 some percent, um, presence of their products on that e-commerce store. So when you step back and you reflect on that, that's not really launching a new e-commerce site. If you only mm -hmm. have a third of your products up there and then they invested in that, getting that CRM for product information in Akinio. Right. And um, within two years, 90 some, 90 plus percent um, of their products were on that store and the e-commerce store. And then just before COVID hit, they were able to um, quickly go in and tag their, their products that they were going to launch in a new uh, venue, which was ship to store, right? So pick up in store um, and were able to get that done so quickly. So adapted their customer experience really quickly, just in time for this new world order that we're living in. So it's, I don't know, it's just really good illustration of being. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, super insightful. And uh, well, actually, on the using the word insightful, uh, I, another question I had for you, Kristen, because I'd say, uh, in addition to everyone flinging around this CX and the basic words that go alongside of improving your CX, uh, another one I see constantly is insights. And uh, obviously, um, each vendor out there has their own way of why these insights are actionable or more important for you. But I found it interesting um, at looking through Akinio where you folks believe they're most impactful and how they can change, of course, your product detail pages and the content you're having. Uh, how else have insights been impactful for your customers? That's a really great question. Um, so I think for us, one of the meters of uh, success for product experience is there's the, the backend operations piece, so time to market. Right. So if you now have visibility and how long it takes, or um, not just visibility, but you're able to measure how long it takes from a product being ready to it being in your sales and marketing channels, um, and clearly shortening that time as, as much as possible so that you have longer time to sell. That's first part of insight is how do you make sure that you're optimizing once that product is ready to be sold, you're getting it in market as fast as possible. So that's one measure of insight that I think really helps um, businesses to, to um, achieve faster growth. And then the, on the other end of it is what we've been talking about, which is uh, the contents of that product description or product experience. And so completeness of you know, attributes that um, you want to make sure that you're, you have that describe your product, um, images and the accuracy of the images and the image size and the image format. Um, so all of those the completeness uh, measures from around the product uh, information um, is another insight that I think is really valuable in this context. Um, you mentioned Royal King. You told us about, of course, the the impact to getting all of your products listed uh, um, as a part of your merchandising strategy. Are there any other examples of customers that you've seen uh, work through Akinio to, to 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 bring some real impact quickly? Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of good examples of uh, customers with good intentions. So they want to right. get in that new channel. Um, with Royal King, it was it was e-commerce. Um, with another company that we, we recently signed with, um, they had rushed uh, and, and spun up a marketplace. So uh, they're a, a pet manufacturing uh, brand. Um, so they have pet foods and supplies and things like that. And um, they needed to get into one of those, you know, like a, a Petco type of a, of a marketplace sure. um, for, for their wares. And... Um, I think speed to market was important to them, but I think those other elements of being able to actually control the product information and and really be able to be accurate um, in those in those ways and complete uh, was lacking. And so um, I think it shows up. <laughs> it's very obvious to to you and I, the consumer, when you see a bad product experience. Um, and so they're now uh, reinvesting in in PIM product information management with the yep. Kineo to stabilize that information, enrich that information, put it in context for all of those channels and really um, improve their sales and conversion numbers. And I think it was uh, Colin Shaw we had on our show a few weeks ago. And if I'm giving Colin credit and it was someone else, uh, my apologies, but uh, they had mentioned that, uh, you know, a consumer, you have multiple touch points. They engage with you in multiple places. They see you as one single organism. It should not be disparate, disconnected, disjointed conversations or product information and things like that. So 
I, I can imagine how that would be particularly impactful for those brands looking to have that sort of single organism presence uh, and to, of course, deliver a consistently helpful experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, I think as consumers, we probably each have one, one or two or a handful of things that we're looking at when we're evaluating a purchase. And, right. um, and depending on which place that we're doing our research and our homework and our shopping, um, provides either more or less uh, availability to, to give that information. So I think managing that from a business's perspective, you can, we know what the before is. There are a lot of good uh, <laughs> good examples yeah. of customers who have come to us um, saying how horrifying the Excel spreadsheet madness uh, that they've been living in to, to manage all of those different iterations of their product uh, in Korean. Um. The other thing that I wanted to, of course, mention is you have something super helpful on your website as a starting point for brands. It's the uh, PX maturity assessment. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. It operates much like a quiz to kind of give you a pulse for where you stand today and, and what else? Yeah, it's definitely a self-assessment. So um, you, uh, you definitely go online and take a look at it. There's, uh, I think, 14 questions that we're okay. asking um, along the lines of people, process, and technology. And so... Um, I was hoping to ping Fritz to do exactly what he just did. I didn't even have to press the link, Kristen. That's the direct link to it. Yeah, that's the direct link. Um, you know, I think one of the, the great things about assessments like this is that, uh, you know, you'll get a score at the end. So you'll be able to benchmark against uh, others who have taken the assessment. Um, but it also provides helpful hints on how uh, and suggestions on how you might take the next step to improve that product experience. Mm -hmm. uh, again, along people, process, and technology vectors. So it's something, there are things in there that you'll be able to do today in your job uh, to take the next step in improving your product experiences. So um, before I let you go, Kristen, do you have any last things to say to the I won't call them product experience haters, but maybe if, if we were to do next week a live stream titled uh, PX is dead, long live CX. Any final words to the, 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 yeah, the host for next week? Host <laughs> of next week. Um, yeah, you know, I think you cannot have a customer experience without having the foundation of product experience. And so I think... Um, in the future, the CEO will have two, two pocketbooks of budget. One will be for the CRM and one will be for the PXM product. Um, because the two in tandem are what creates and uh, not just the customer experience, but the company, right? Like, that's what growth is, mm. is the product and how you experience it. So. We've just been missing the product piece and we need to up-level the investment there. Right, no, I think that's a good point. Uh, so I will bring that up for when we inevitably have a topic that's like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Fritz, do we have any questions from anyone? We usually get a ton after. I think we had one come through Fritz. Did, uh, and if I'm not talking to Fritz, if someone else could eventually respond. Okay, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Well, Kristen, thank you so much for the time. It was a pleasure to, to spend time with you. I'm super impressed by what you're doing over at Akinio. And I think that uh, you certainly uh, you have a lot of key points on why 
this sort of product experience is the backbone, I think you said, for customer experience. And you need to have it in place to, of course, make sure you're giving a consistent, helpful experience across all channels. Um, but uh, it was a pleasure to, to get to spend some time with you and to use this to arm my next conversation about CX and PX. I'm glad, glad to be a part of the story. Thanks, Terrence, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Um, next week, everyone, if you've found any value in, again, today's session, make sure you like, subscribe, check out Akinio, and, of course, their product maturity, uh, product experience maturity assessment. Fritz shared that link before. It's a great way of obviously getting an understanding of where you folks are today. And as Kristen mentioned, this is the backbone and foundation for a, a truly successful and impactful customer experience. Uh, join us next week. I believe we're back at our original time at 11 a.m. Eastern on Tuesdays. Uh, we have Marie Dubias of Albatross CX, and they are an agency that's dedicated for luxury brands and improving the customer experience. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry, I keep shaking the camera. Uh, but yes, we'll see you next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern with Marie Dubias of Albatross. Take care.